Coming up, my guy, Gerald Brown from SiriusXM NBA Radio to recap the first half of the NBA season. What to expect from here on out, including does he trust James Harden or Giannis Antetokounmpo when the money is on the line? His podcast with a couple of longtime NBA players entitled Let's Get Technical and much, much more. But first, this message. Hey, everybody. Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a longtime listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you to all please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to them. Of course, this pod is on all platforms, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to increase the visibility of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. In turn, to generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so that I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, and credible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen to and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You can also go to the website for more information about me, the pod, archive shows at www.jreels.com. I appreciate you all. I thank you very much for listening, trusting, and believing in me. So with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope your week is going stellar as we inch closer to the Ides of March. It is 72 degrees here in New York. Uh, Hope springs eternal, but I know we still have a few more days to get officially to spring. But here to hand off another midweek podcast to you guys with a very special guest as I delve deep into the sports world on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 184 episodes, I welcome you guys back here on a Thursday, March the 11th, in the year of our Lord 2021. J Reels, what's the deal segment? What I got on tap? Joining me on today's pod is a familiar but very special guest as Gerald Brown from Sirius XM NBA Radio blesses us with his insight on everything that's going on in the association. We'll unpack all that's taking place with what's going on locally with the surprising Knicks, the Nets championship aspirations, the teams that have overachieved this year, who could be laying in the weeds to make a run into the postseason. We even discuss his podcast, Let's Get Technical, that's available on all platforms and on YouTube for your viewing pleasure. I've left a link in the show notes for your edification, so you want to definitely check that out. Plus, I'll get a thought on his days at Blog Talk Radio, where we first met, and much more. Also, today marks the one-year anniversary that sports began its shutdown due to the pandemic. So I'll add my two cents on that on the back end of this pod. So if you love hoops in the NBA, this pod is specially made for you. Let's get right to it. My conversation with Gerald Brown from Sirius XM NBA Radio, and I'll see you on the other side. Enjoy. Joining me for his third time on the podcast, but it's been almost two years from Sirius XM, NBA Radio, the bottom line sports show, my man Gerald Brown joins me to handicap what's going on in this NBA season and beyond. And right off the bat, Gerald, with everything that has transpired here over the last few months between the turnaround from the NBA Finals to the start of the season, obviously everything that's going on with COVID, the travel, the schedule, etc., has this NBA season to point to this point been what you've expected, more than you expected, or less than you expected, and why? I think I think it's been more than I expected, um, simply because the fact is that even in the midst of everything, you know, the players went from playing in a bubble to now being back 
to implement travel. Um, the quality of basketball has been pretty good. Um, you know, and for the most part now, thankfully, you know, it seems apparent, you know, we getting fans back into the stands. So slowly but surely getting back to some sense of normalcy. But uh, it's been better, more than better than expected. And, um, you know, again, the quality of basketball, for the most part, has been very good. No, it definitely has. It hasn't suffered or wavered. And especially when you look at the teams here in New York, and we'll start here. I know you got to be surprised about the Knicks, considering that you've been a huge Knicks fan your whole life. And speaking of the whole expected, unexpected, I'm sure this is beyond your wildest imaginations to think that this team right now is a game over 500, getting ready for the second half of the season. And it looks like they'll probably secure themselves a playoff spot here sometime in the middle of May. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because uh, if you think about it, I don't know too many franchises where their fan base would be celebrating if their team is one game above 500. <laughs> Good point. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just really been impressive. But I think you got to have a lot of, you know, like a lot of kudos go to, you know, the front office and really a guy like Scott Perry, who, you know, was one of the holdovers and stuff from the former regime and obviously with Leon Rose and, and his, his, his staff coming in there. But I think Scott really – you get a lot of the credit you know uh, obviously this is a team with the exception of the rookies and stuff but this is a team currently that was in place and that was that team that David Fisdale had and Mm -hmm. you know for Tom Thibodeau to come in there and really really provide some structure uh the commitment on the defensive end has been very very impressive I think they're number one in the league in terms of points allowed it's been very very impressive um you know the second half you know, it'd be really interesting to see how well, you know, things turn out. But I think it's been unbelievable considering the fact is that when you look at that roster up and down, and there's no disrespect to Julius Randle, there's not really, quote unquote, a star on that team. You know, it kind of reminiscent of the Brooklyn Nets where in the years prior to them getting Kobe and, I mean, Kobe, uh, KD and Kyrie, mm-hmm. you know, they, they basically had a team that you were synonymous with you know, playing hard. And I think that is the thing with the Knicks, that they're playing hard. They have the cap space. Uh, they're likely going to get a good draft pick. And uh, the future looks very bright for them. It does. And I understand there are no moral victories when it comes to the Knicks finally making it to the postseason, which will be for the first time if they do since the, what is it, 2012-2013 season. But I would think if they were to win around this year, considering everything you mentioned, the roster, not being able to have that one bonafide guy that you could really wrap your arms around, no disrespect to Julius Randle, but I'm sure yourself as a Knicks fan and all the other Knicks fans out there, if they were to win the first round, that would be a great building block for this franchise moving forward. Well, I think, you know, I think I'll, I'll, I'll take the bar and put it a little bit lower. I think making the playoffs mm. is a, a good barometer and a, a good, uh, you know, way to test this team and really something to build on. Because like I said before, this team – for the most part, we're all together last year and, 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 and the whole David Fisdale experience and seeing that team really, really struggle and, and, and really go through some hard growing pains and then for them to come back uh, and, and, and not only, you know, play good basketball, but to be in a situation where they make the playoffs. Look, if they win a game in the playoffs, I think fans mm. as well as uh, the Knicks will have something to hang their hat on to really start hopefully a building block of them becoming a consistent playoff team with championship aspirations somewhere down the line right and I think listen there's plenty of basketball to be played but where they're at right now if they're the four the five I think it would bode well for them considering that I think they would match up well against the Celtics if you remember they beat them by 30 in the TD Garden earlier this year and not to say that whatever they do in a regular season is going to translate into the postseason if they do play against each other but even with them being somewhere in the middle, I think they'd have a better shot of winning a round as opposed to being a seventh or eighth seed going up against either Philly or Brooklyn, for that matter. Yeah, I think clearly, look, Boston, I, I don't think that they're going to stand pat with this current team that they have. If they do, I'd be very, very surprised. But, you know, if you look at the Boston Celtics, you know, Jason Tatum had really revealed that he's been still struggling with some effects from having the COVID uh, virus and stuff mm. and and just really still, you know, trying to get himself back to a hundred percent. But I think that once the playoffs come around and if they stand pat, which I don't really believe they're going to do so, you know, that Boston team is very, very experienced, but I think it will be a good battle. And 
Look, like I said before, I think if the Knicks win a playoff game, that is a great, great way to sit back and build for the future. But if they end up winning a playoff series, I mean, can you imagine the New York City and the Knicks fans? If they're able to win a playoff series and get to a divisional round, Oh, my God. People might start turning around talking about building a statue of Tom Thibodeau. (laughs) Who knows? Exactly. Such a long time since they've actually had any success here pretty much in this uh, 21st century. Now, when we we go across the river, of course, all the expectations are through the roof. I didn't really understand the Blake Griffin deal. I understand he's another guy that has experience. We know he's not the same player that he once was. Me, I would think they would go for more of a defensive, whether somebody to clog the middle with the trade, to for Jared Allen going to Cleveland, obviously the whole scenario with James Harden. We all know this is boom or bust for the Nets. What do you think? Do you feel like this team now is going to be primed after these last few weeks having that big nine-game winning streak before losing to the Mavs? Or do you think that this is a team come playoff time they're going to struggle knowing that they can outscore anybody, but we all know they cannot win 131-126 every game come the postseason? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to have to agree with you on that ladder that the the nets as they're constructed if you think about it when you look at the nets you know it's it, it, it seems like you see a lot of the similarities from the phoenix suns teams that mike d'antoni had with right. mark sotomayor and steve nash and then you even look at us a close, step closer you go look a little a step further and you look at this team and you say wow they're kind of reminiscent of the houston rockets and stuff where great offensive scoring teams, but really struggle on the defensive end. And I think that that is something that Sean Marks, the general manager for the Brooklyn Nets, is really going to have to take a hard look at. Because uh, from what I'm hearing and some of the rumors that have been floating around, it's a rumor that this was a deal where, you know, in terms of Blake Griffin, it was something where Kevin Durant has really been really after, you know, Blake Griffin. And, and, you Mm -hmm. know, the relationship uh, evolved, I think, when Kevin – was in Oklahoma City, and then I think Blake was still for a year at Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma, or something like that. But they have a strong connection. Because I look at it this way, yes, he adds something to possibly your second lineup, but you don't need any more scoring. You're going to need somebody on the defensive side of the ball. And think about this. The Brooklyn Nets currently are the number one team in the league in terms of offensive efficiency, scoring, but they also 27th in the league on the defensive side when it comes to the points they give up per game as well as rebounds. So if they're talking about having real championship aspirations and not just talk, they're going to have to do a lot of work because the teams that are four teams they're bunched in with are Washington, Sacramento, Minnesota. To add to that equation – where the, the, the Brooklyn Nets reside in terms of the defensive side. And if they don't make a move to try to get a guy like JaVale McGee or maybe a Hassan, Hassan Whiteside, I, I just don't think that this team, you know, will go far in the playoffs. You know, I think clearly they're pushing their chips to the center of the table, but there is such a glaring hole in that middle that I don't think that Blake Griffin really solves a lot of the problems on the defensive side. Do you think the trade for James Harden was a knee-jerk reaction to what was going on with Kyrie off the court? I think so. You know, I think that was clearly a situation was, you know, the way things played out, you know, and obviously the Nets won't come out and say it publicly. Right. But it, it became a situation where, look, they had been discussing this for quite some time. I think that there have been talks of, you know, James wanting to go there. But I think that it really didn't, you know, sort of accelerate it in terms of with Kyrie disappearing from that time and thus becoming a situation where if Kyrie, along with his health in terms of, you know, the physical being able to hold up, who's going to be that other guy? We clearly know that Kevin Durant is coming off of, you know, that Achilles injury. He's, his time and his, his games are going to have to be monitored. So who's going to be that other guy? And I think, obviously, you know, like I said before, it just accelerated the whole process. But it was clearly evident that, you know, James Harden made it known that he wanted to go to Brooklyn. Mm. And they were going to do anything and everything to make that happen uh, in terms of uh, his camp. And I just think that, obviously, with Hart, with uh, Irvin stepping away, 
that just made things a lot faster. No, I totally agree with you there. All right, now I'm going to go throughout the league. I'm not even going to go by the East or the West. I'm just going to throw some questions at you and see what you think. Okay. Uh, which team you think has the most pressure on them to make it to the finals, Philadelphia or the Clippers? Oh, I think it's the Clippers. I think it's the Clippers. I think Clippers, and if if, if I can, let me throw another team in there. Uh-huh. The Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, absolutely. At, yeah, you look at those two teams. I think the Clippers and the Bucks are perhaps one of the two teams that realistically they won't be judged on what they do in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of unfair because the, the Bucks and the Clippers could get off to amazing starts during the course of this regular season, but then people will always judge them for what they didn't do in the playoffs. And that's, you know, especially with the Clippers losing a 3-1 lead, you have former uh, you know, in former big-time player Kawhi Leonard, you got two big-time players, but again, you know, NBA champion and Kawhi Leonard, him along with Paul George there, you know, all the things and the assets that were given up to get, you know, uh, Paul there to team up with Kawhi. So I, I definitely would think that it would be, and if there was a 1-1-A, it would be the L.A. Clippers and the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, Giannis is there. You're able to resign, you, ho- you know, the, the player that they developed. And they've been able to get all the things that they need. Drew Holiday is the latest guy that they had there. And yet, if this team has any type of repeat performance of coming up in the short in the playoffs, I don't think that they have no other choice but to get rid of Mike Boonholzer. But uh, it, those would be really the two teams that I think really have the most pressure on them and will only be judged by what they do in the postseason as opposed to the regular season. No, and that's an excellent point. And the only reason why I brought up Philadelphia is because we know about the Embiid, Simmons. Now, I understand Brett Brown, that didn't work out. But now you have Doc Rivers in the fold, who is markedly much better than Brett Brown. But remember, he has his own baggage, blowing that 3-1 series lead last year to Denver. And, of course, other series that he has in the past, post-winning the title with the Celtics in 2008. And I know Philly, the trust the process, as we all know, is long gone. So I would think with the young studs that are there, and who knows, I would think that they would certainly have a lot more shelf life than the Clippers or the Bucks do. But the only reason why I threw them in the mix is because a lot of people are going to wonder, if they do fail this upcoming postseason, would it be time to separate both Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons? Well, yeah, and I think that, you know, again, if they come up short, I think you're really going to have to look at, and that's a great point, but you're really going to have to look at, you know, moving, not Embiid, but definitely Ben Simmons. I right. mean, obviously, Embiid has been off to an unbelievable first half start. Definitely an MVP candidate. But uh, he has established himself as kind of, quote unquote, the guy that that offense is going to run through. And if it comes up to a situation where they fall short, I think that you will be definitely be right on where in terms of Ben Simmons hitting the open market and seeing what's out there and what the, uh, the Sixers can get in return for. And who would you trust more in the postseason in a big spot? Giannis Antetokounmpo or James Harden? Oh, Harden. Oh, really? Harden. I think, yeah, I think Giannis's offensive repertoire, and I think, you know, it's kind of unfair. I was talking to an NBA executive, and he was really telling me that, and it brought to my attention, he was saying, you know, basically, if you look at the success that Giannis has had, nobody, not even the Milwaukee Bucks, expected Giannis to be a two-time MVP because if that was considered and that was expected he would have been drafted number one or somewhere in that top three top four top five he wasn't so I think a lot of the stuff where he was drafted really is based on his talent and he has evolved but I think also too he's still a work in progress and it's unfortunate because if we look at the NBA and he's a primary example. He's a young player that I think is a lot of pressure on him to sort of mimic somewhat of what Kevin Durant is mm. in terms of bigs that are really operating on the perimeter. You know, he's having the ball handling responsibilities and trying to do a lot of the things that if it was in another era of basketball, you would really utilize Giannis pretty much behind the defense, operating as a small forward and really, you know, playing a lot with his back to the basket, but more importantly, being able to operate around the painted area, you know, showcasing the jumper, you know, being able to, you know, a couple dribbles go up 
and be effective around the rim as opposed to having him in front of the defense and really day in and day out trying to show and prove to everybody that he can develop a consistent jump shot and make him a deep, a, a bigger threat. No, and you're 1,000% right about it. The only thing is with Harden is the back of his playoff card scares me because I'm sure you all know in huge spots, he seems to wilt. Now, the one thing that he does have going for him is that all the pressure doesn't fall on him because obviously he has two other guys that are pretty much take that big shot before Harden will. And that's not to say Harden won't do it, but it's not as if everything's going to fall on him unless he takes a final shot and misses, let's say, to win a game seven or let's say to advance in that regard. But the one thing that scares me about Harden, and especially being in this market, is that a lot's going to be expected out of him. And the same for Giannis, too. Like you said, two-time MVP, back-to-back, had the best record in the East the last two years, and what did they do? They went up in smoke. But I think Harden, just for the sake that he has not only a bigger resume, but just seems to come up short in those big spots, whether you look at those series against Golden State, whether you look at the one time when they played the Clippers, when he sat out in the game six and Corey Brewer and Josh Smith bailed him out with threes all over the place. To me, that's the one thing that I would be scared about when it comes to James Harden. Well, you know, yeah, you could say somewhat of that. And I think obviously him playing in New York is a lot of pressure on him. But think about it this way. You know, if you look at his run in Houston, with the exception of maybe, just maybe, Chris Paul, you know, whatever the talented other player that he has played with, you know, and and, and you can look at some of the stuff that Kevin Durant when he played in Oklahoma City. And I remember, I guess it was against, matter of fact, it was against Golden State. I can't recall the specific year. But when they were up 3-1, Golden State, uh, Kevin Durant, had Russell Westbrook, and Russell Westbrook goes out with that um, that that knee injury. I think it was either yeah, I think it was either them or the Clippers. But long story short, he goes out with the knee injury. Westbrook goes out. They are never able to recover from that three-one uh, lead, and you have to take this time before that when I think they were playing against Houston. It was and Patrick Beverly injured uh, right Westbrook, Westbrook. Mm-hmm. and you look at the struggles of Kevin Durant in that playoffs that playoff series, which they ended up losing. But I think that now with Harden in that situation in Houston, he never really had, he, look, he was the guy. You no, know, yeah. it, it was no way in the world that if anything, opposing coaches were saying, look, you're going to try, we're going to try to do everything possible to stop James Harden because we know these other guys cannot beat us. And if they're playing small ball, doing all these different things, he has carried an unbelievable load. But I think now he comes to, you know, Brooklyn, you got two other guys. Now you're talking about, you know, coaches devising plans. Who are they going to really help off of? You know, all three of those guys are effective scorers. So now, you know, it will almost be just like when Kevin Durant went to Golden State. You know, a lot of the responsibility will come off of his shoulders. And now he can do the things that he's very, very comfortable doing, which is being an effective scorer. And also, yeah, he can help out, rebound, defend or whatever. And I think with James, you know, it it doesn't have to worry about carrying the load and being run down come playoffs. He's got guys out there that can really be in a situation to help shoulder the load with him. Let me ask you this as far as uh, Coach Stevens is concerned. Do you think he's on the hot seat if the Celtics don't go deep into the postseason? No, I don't think so. I think that Brad Stevens is an unbelievable coach. You know, he's a guy that's proven that he can play and win. Uh, Coach, excuse me, and win, and his teams play, and they have a lot of success in Boston. And I think the biggest thing is it's been is that this team has made an effort, a sort of a conscious effort to commit to him organization-wise when they gave him that that six-year deal. I just think that, you know – Marcus Spart has been out, you know, he's been out, he's been unhealthy. You know, you had Gordon Hayward when he first signed up, he plays one, like not even a quarter Mm. and gets hurt in his debut year with the Celtics. Um, You have the development of guys that they've tried to do and bring in from Al Horford. um, And and then you also have had the development of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So there are pieces there. I just think that, like I said before, Boston really needs to be active, in my humble opinion, come the playoffs, you know, the trade deadline. If right. they're going to have something and do something in the playoffs, I think it really just doesn't rely just on coaching. I just think that he needs 
really that organization really needs a sort of big to really help out rim protector and yep. be that rebounder. I mean, they made the decision and gave money to Tristan Thompson. That hasn't really worked out well. Uh, Daniel Tice is good, but he's an undersized big. And um, they were kind of exposed in the playoffs against the Miami Heat in terms of having that big. You know, Robert Williams is a developmental project. Taco Fall the same way. So to answer your question, I think Brad Stevens has really been dealing with a a, a deck that has has had some flaws and stuff that at the most inopportune times. And then, I mean, take a step further. You know, Kimball Walker has been dealing with a knee injury. He really hasn't been able to live up to the contract and mm-hmm. the expectations that were really expected when, obviously, Kyrie Irving didn't resign, and then all of a sudden they come in and they bring Kimball Walker in there. It just hasn't worked out well for them. But I think the bigger picture and the bigger issue is really, really addressing that middle. Do you think the Utah Jazz can make it to the NBA Finals? No. <laughs> no, I, and I agree, I, too. <laughs> the reason why, and, and, and I mean, again, they've, they've had an unbelievable regular season. Nobody's expected that. You know, they are play from the bubble. They've carried it over. You know, Donovan Mitchell's a stud. You know, Mike Conley Jr. has been playing very well. They are what you, epitom- what, what you epitomize, it would epitomize this, we talk about team. That's the Utah Jazz. Hmm. And they can do so many different things from Gobert in the middle uh, rim protector, block shots, plays well. And then you have Jordan Clarkson, who's unbelievable, coming off the bench in the first half of the season. But I think if you look at this team, and all you have to do is ask yourself one question, what we've been able to see out of the Utah Jazz in this first half of the season, which is a team that you don't anticipate making any trades or things of that nature, can they beat the Los Angeles Lakers in a series four out of seven? Right. I don't see it happening. No, you know, I, and I don't know if it's the lack of, you know, when they had a guy like Jay Crowder, which I thought Jay Crowder was very, very huge for the Miami Heat when they acquired him mm-hmm. last year. And even when Crowder was out there in Utah, you know, sort of a glue guy that's going to be tough, getting the muck and just muck it up with the teams and stuff. I just don't think they have enough toughness, but more importantly, you know, outside of, uh, you know, outside of Donovan Mitchell, you know, can they be a team that if a team in the playoffs like the Lakers who can defend them out on the perimeter and be able to switch as well and stuff, if they take away what the Utah Jazz like to do, which is a good passing team, but really shooting it efficiently from the perimeter. If they take that away, their plan A, do the Utah Jazz have an effective plan B? Right. That's the thing that I look at them and I say, I don't know. Bench production, is it really that strong? No. Outside of Clarkson, no. So, look, good regular season team. I think that, you know, again, it's been the talk of the first half of the season. Definitely surprised a lot of people. But, um, no, I don't see them beating the, the, the Lakers. Right. And, it, and, and that is pretty much, even if the Lakers, God forbid, lose Anthony Davis, I just don't see the Jazz beating the Lakers four out of seven in a series. And speaking of surprises, before the season started, I know a lot of people looked at Phoenix as a trendy pick. I said, even with Chris Paul there, I still need to see it. And they approved me wrong here in this first half of the season to think that in the top of the West right now, you have Utah and Phoenix at one and two. Now, of course, we still have a long way to go before the end of the regular season. But what do you think about Phoenix, knowing that they have the veteran Wiley point guard, future Hall of Famer and Chris Paul, and even with the young cats that are out there, do you think that maybe they have enough to take the Clippers or the Lakers to a seventh game, let's say, in a conference final or even in a second-round series? Maybe in a second-round series, I don't think they could go seven, but they could win some games. Look, Chris Paul has really solidified himself before this uh, being a Hall of Famer. I think what he did was to just show his value, you know, in terms of what he was able to accomplish with the Oklahoma City Thunder last year winning a series, and then you turn around and see him go to Phoenix, and you're saying, man, Phoenix traded for a lot of money on that contract. He's a guy that really struggled to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. How is this going to play out? I don't know how it's going to play out. And, you know, again, it could go south real quickly in Phoenix, and they'll be stuck with that contract. But he's played very well. And I think Chris Paul, his, his addition has really helped 
settle, you know, the development, if you will, settle down with Devin Booker, letting him be a guy that could be able to thrive because now you got this point guard out there that, that the opposing coaches definitely need to focus on. And I think he's also helped with the development of the big man, DeAndre Ayton, mm-hmm. furthermore. But then they also have a nice mixture of young players that are still coming into their own. And also, too, they have that man again, Jay Crowder, yeah. who, you know, somehow, some way he finds himself and, and in these situations. But he's a good asset on teams with young talent. But he's also a guy that's going to be a, a, a very tough defender. He's going to be real physical. And I think that really helps with that Phoenix Suns team. But I'm definitely surprised that they're up there and the way they've played in this first half of the season. And I think, you know, it was what it was something that was needed after them going eight and zero in the bubble, and then you make the move to add a Chris Paul, and provided he stays healthy, they will definitely be one of the surprising teams in the league as a whole. And here we are, about twenty five minutes into our conversation, and I know you made a brief mention of the Lakers before, but now I'll usher them into the uh, discussion here. Without Anthony Davis, to me. They could sit Anthony Davis out to the final week of the season and could be a seven seed and they'll still go to the NBA finals as long as he's healthy 100%. But my question to you is, is that whenever he comes back, and that's fine, but let's say, for instance, even at 100%, you know, with big men and legs, it could be tough sledding for him. Do you think the Lakers can repeat without him in the lineup? I think they'll go through the West, but let's say if they go up against Philly or against a team that obviously has a bunch of bigs, either Milwaukee to try to guard Giannis. Do you think that they'll have enough to a NBA final or their season to an NBA final, but also repeat as champions? I think they, I think they can. And I think, you know, the biggest uh, telling sign will be a couple of things. Number one, you know, uh, how, you know, the Lakers, if if they will be active come trade deadline and Mm -hmm. also what they will be looking for, in terms of the buyout market, like is there a possibility that a guy like JaVale McGee, if they can't swing a trade, you know, does JaVale end up, you know, on a buyout going back to, you know, the LA Lakers and stuff like that. And I think the Lakers, regardless of Anthony Davis, if, a, if he's a hundred percent healthy, I think that they will look to add perhaps another big man simply because the fact is, you know, you just question how much more does a guy like Marcus all has in the tank left yeah. And I think the, the you, you look at this team, the way they were constructed, and it's a phenomenal job by Rob Palenka in their front office, the way they're constructed, it seems like everybody understands their role and plays to their strength as opposed to sort of going out there experimenting and, and playing to their weakness. You know, from Montrez Harrell to Dennis Schroeder, you have pieces that are there. And I think the biggest thing of all, they're managing the season – with the intent of saying, hey, look, we'll know how to turn it up when we need to, monitor it, manage the season, but come playoff time, that's when you can basically utilize LeBron James. And I think that in that Western Conference, I don't really see too, too many teams that are going to be able to beat the Lakers in a best-of-seven series without a, a healthy Anthony Davis. Because like I said before, they're going to need some pieces, and I think if you get like a big man, you know, that could be a guy that knows their system, like a like a JaVale McGee, like I mentioned, and you still have LeBron still playing at this elite level, it's not going to be a cakewalk for any of those teams out there. And I still give the Lakers a fighting chance to repeat as champions with or without Anthony Davis. Yeah, I know. It's amazing how much more – credit and throw bouquets at the feet of LeBron to think at his age, how many years in the league and the guy is just, he's from another planet and you know, we don't need to give him any more accolades than he already deserves, but it just goes to show you that even without Anthony Davis, the team is still dangerous and the guy hasn't slowed down a bit, which, you know, it just, it just makes you shake your head and think that man, you know, we're never going to see a town like this ever again, as long as we're alive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the run that he's been on, and it's been unbelievable, and you're right. Um, I do know that prior to the start of the pandemic, and it would be really interesting to see how it plays out, when the Lakers came to New York, I had the fortunes of going to the game, mm. and I noticed that there was a camera crew, specifically just around LeBron and, and following him, and I found out 
that LeBron was putting together a documentary kind of similar to Michael Jordan's Last Dance, mm. where the camera crew would stay with him and follow him up until the time he decides to retire. So wow. I don't know if they stopped it due to the pandemic, but I'd be really interested to see exactly, you know, all that footage and stuff like that down the line. No, of course. No, that sounds excellent. All right, I'm going to throw a few quickies at you just to uh, get the NBA segment out because there's a couple of things I want to touch on. One, uh, as far as a team that you think that's laying in the weeds, that has been under the radar, kind of like the Heat or even the Nuggets, and it's funny to even say that because the Heat obviously went to the finals last year and the Nuggets were just a step away. I look at those two teams in particular. Do you think that they're going to have enough left to kind of get themselves up in the standings, to put themselves in a position where maybe they could get a home court and obviously get into the postseason to do some damage? Or do you see another team that's out there that's maybe – I don't want to say a dark horse, but just kind of laying low and hiding in the weeds right now to make themselves available to go on a deep run, not only for the rest of the season, but into the postseason. Okay, let's look at the Eastern Conference. I really think that Miami, look, Miami, Miami, in my humble opinion, was the biggest benefactor of the uh, the beneficiaries of the, the whole uh, bubble in terms of, you know, being on a neutral court, no fans, no mm. pressure, you play, it's almost like a, a, a scrimmage, and you just had cameras in there. Right. Um, you know, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, those guys are, you know, again, experiencing what the NBA is pretty much like in terms of, obviously, you don't have the fans in the stand, but the travel, playing on the home court, playing on the road, trying to fight for home court. And then, you know, um, you know, you look at Jimmy Butler, he hasn't been 100% healthy. So right. I look at last year, yeah, it was one of those anomalies where if you look at the season, it's like, you know, I, I tweeted, I said, this would probably be a time where perhaps be the first time that you could probably see two teams in the NBA final that nobody would have expected to see that. Yeah. And, um, you know, we came close with Denver and stuff, uh, you know, in their battle with the Lakers. But I think in the East, I'm going to say Toronto, you know, depending mm. on if they hold on to a Kyle Lowry, you know, Toronto has been a team that they've dealt with COVID uh, issues recently. They have been displaced. Yep. This team has not been back to Toronto for well over a year. They're displaced. They're playing in, in Tampa Bay and, you know, they're, they're dealing, some, dealing with some things. And, you know, Pascal Siakam has gotten off to a slow start. But slowly but surely, they're coming around and stuff. And Fred Van Fleet has been playing phenomenal. So it, it, it's really a question of if they decide to hold on to Kyle Lowry, I think this team, who has a history and a track record of playing very well in a regular season, I can see this team being back in the mix and come playoffs. And um, I don't know about a deep playoff run, but I wouldn't be surprised and bet against them and Nick Nurse of them uh, winning a first-round series. Now mm-hmm. in the West, you know, Denver and Dallas has been my two biggest disappointing teams. Yeah. And I think that clearly, you know, based upon Dallas and Denver, Denver, you know, Dallas, first of all, Dallas, you know, you look at the season, start of the season, Luka Doncic, really the Vegas odds makers had him as uh, the odds-on favorite to win the uh, MVP. And I don't know if that really put a, too much pressure on him because for some reason you look at his numbers, like 30, 30 points, 10 rebounds or 10 assists. He has unbelievable numbers. But my biggest question is, is he making the players around him better and their job easier like how much do they really miss and how much they really missed a guy like Kristaps Porzingis but at the same time you know those numbers kind of a little deceiving to me and them being 16 I think 18 and 16 Mm -hmm. you just look at that and say well you know are the pieces really fitting or is it a situation where you know Luca is really really taking on a bigger load and not putting and not really you know, allowing the development of some of those other players from Tim Hardaway Jr., Jalen Brunson. So it's really, really disappointing to see this team and see them two games above 500. Now, the Nuggets, real quickly, is a team that I think, look, Jamal Murray played out of his mind in the last two postseasons, and specifically in the postseason last year. But yet it hasn't translated very well into this regular season. Yes, they lost Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee, 
But I still believe that they're a team that clearly they should be a lot better than what they are. And I think, yes, they got 21 wins or so. But the biggest thing with them is I think they're like nine and seven at home, but they're 12 and eight on the road. So it's just a question of how does that match up when you have a relatively veteran laden team that you could be that, you know, 50 50 up in the air at home but you really are solid on the road. And I think the biggest thing from the first half of the season that stands out with them, then a chance where they were down by two at home in a game. And I, I think it was against Washington. They had a four on one break. Oh yeah. They decided to pull up four or three. <laughs> and that pretty much summed up, you know, thus far the first half of the season with the Denver Nuggets and especially with the talent that they have on their roster. Um, but I think they could make a second half run and Murray, you know, really get back into it. But uh, definitely those two teams there, I would think that maybe, if anything, Denver could be sort of that team laying in the weeds to make a good run. And who was your NBA Finals pick before the start of the season? Well, start of the season, I mean, you couldn't go wrong with the Lakers. And then, you know, it's it's just such a toss-up in that East. And I think it's really going to, you know, come down to matchups, you know. Um, I, I think matchups in the trade deadline. Look, if Boston really adds a big, I think they're going to be in the fold. And, you know, with their perimeter defenders and their athleticism on the wings, you know, for Kimba Walker is very healthy. You're talking about Kimba, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. Very, very difficult matchups for any teams come the playoffs. Um, you, you, I mentioned about Milwaukee. You mm-hmm. know, if they decide to add another layer or wrinkle, what adjustments will they make to prevent teams from, you know, developing and creating a wall if they decide to allow, you know, Giannis to not play with the ball? And if Drew Holiday can come back and be that primary ball handler, could they be a team based upon matchups that could pose a lot of problems? And then I think that Philadelphia, it comes down to one simple thing. Well, two things, actually. Hmm. If Joel Embiid is able to remain healthy, he has established himself as the main option, the number one option for that offense. That's hands down. But clearly, they're going to need to make a move. And this is, I think, one of those sleeper picks and stuff like that. J.J. Redick is out there. Hmm. He's a free agent in the last year of his deal, probably about $13 million. If J.J. Redick is somehow, some way, the, the Sixers find a way to get Redick back, you add Redick... Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, and even a Danny Green. Now you'll force teams to be in a situation that they really can't help off of them. And now they'll have more perimeter scoring. That takes away that sort of absent piece that you don't have from Ben Simmons. If they're able to get that type of perimeter uh, scoring, I would say that hands down it would be Philly and L.A. in the finals. And get this, I wouldn't be surprised if it went six or seven games. Mm. And a couple of other quickies before I let you go. Of course, you're on Sirius XM NBA radio. We can hear you on Saturday mornings from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Or are there any other times that you're on? I know that's the main time that I hear you on the weekends. but Yeah, I mean, it's just that I'm all over the place. So today I was on from 4 to 7. Uh, definitely you'll probably hear me during the week. So I always I'm, – I'm, I'm sort of like a relief pitcher. I'm like the uh, – I like Chad Green. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what game or what day I'm coming in there, but you know what? I might I might have to come in, do a little uh, a three inning start or whatever, That's it. a bullpen by committee, or I might be able to save a game and stuff. So uh, I'm there. So you could hear me probably on Sirius XM. Oh, perfect. Just, uh, you just never know. Oh, okay, cool. Now the other thing I want to mention was, of course, you do a separate podcast called Let's Get Technical, obviously with two former NBA players, which a lot of people know and have heard of. I'd like to know how did that came about and also how's that been so far working with both Rashid Wallace and Bonzi Wells? Well, you know, I had actually had Bonzi on the show, on the uh, my show, The Bottom Line Sports Show, and Bonzi was amazing. And, you know, we had been talking about, you know, really getting them into the mix and doing some different things. And, um, him, he actually came back and him and, um, Rashid Wallace, he talked to he said, Hey, you know, we would like to do a podcast. So I'm thinking it was just going to be those two guys and really behind the scenes and stuff. And then they were, I think, trying to get Damon Stoudemire on there mm. and Damon wasn't able to do it. And I said, okay, I'll fine. I'll go ahead and do it. 
and get them going. And uh, it's been unbelievable. Yeah. You know, I think that what we're going to do is I like to be behind the mic, behind the scene and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll see how things materialize with that. But it's been amazing because I think the biggest thing that they have been able to bring to the table is, number one, Rashid is sort of a polarizing figure. Mm-hmm. We know about all the crazy things and stuff he's been a part of in the league, but his basketball IQ is unbelievable. And the oh, same yeah. thing with Bonzi, where these guys will delve into a lot of the things associated with playing in the NBA. And that experience of, unfortunately, coming up short in that seven-game series to the L.A. Lakers and some of the stories that are out of that in terms of what if and all these things. So uh, it's been truly, truly amazing. And um, the future looks very, very bright. And, you know, I'm definitely also doing some other things. I think myself and Rick Mahorn might do a podcast as well. So stay tuned for that. All right. No, perfect. And you could, uh, of course, I'm sure on all major platforms, you could see him on YouTube. Let's Get Technical is the name. So you definitely want to peep that. And funny you mentioned the Bottom Line Sports Show. One other thing I got to throw into the mix Considering that you and I go way back to Block Talk Radio, and I've talked about this on the podcast several times, knowing that we both, I don't want to say cut our teeth because I'm sure we've done work prior to that, but knowing that we had that first platform before podcasting came out, what was your best or main recollection from back in the days at Block Talk Radio that you take from to where you are now? Well, you know, I tell you this, Jay, the, the crazy thing is, and, 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 and trust and believe, I'm not just saying this because you know, we're on talking. I always go back and what I take away from that is the fact is that there were so many amazing people mm. that, you know, were good and great at talking sports. Right. You know, like yourself, uh, a guy named Warren Shaw and, you know, uh, Ricky Keeler with baseball. There were so many great sports talk shows mm-hmm. that you look at and listen to those shows. None of them sound alike. Right. And I thought that, you know, what what I took away from that experience is the fact that the matter is there are some great quality people out there that can talk this, you know, this 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 game of sports and talk sports and really share some amazing stories and stuff. And um, it, it was just phenomenal to, to build and the relationships and, you know, um, just, again, create that that culture of you know hey you listen to this show you know i listen to you guys i listen to your show and yeah and, and, and it would be like wow man i would feel like it's a situation where i'm learning you know so i never looked at it as oh man i can't support this show because you know we we got show no i i right. always looked at it as hey look you know if there's an opportunity let's all work together but at the same time support one another and that's one of the biggest things that i look at and, and, and really take away from the fact is that there were so many, you know, amazing, you know, people and stuff and amazing shows that at the end of the day, you know, podcasting world opened it up even furthermore. But yourself and a couple other people, some other people and stuff like that, it was the relationships to be able to build. Nah, excellent, man. Uh, way to go with that one. And I feel the same way because obviously, like I said, we go back into the early 2000s, maybe even late. Aughts, you know, 2009, 2010. So to think here we are now 2021 and obviously you've become such a success there with Sirius XM and doing all these things outside with the podcast, let's say technical and then me doing this, my platform. So it's it's been all love and it's certainly been an evolution for both of us. It goes without saying. Oh, absolutely, man. And, you know, I've, I've always said that, you know, again, I've been very fortunate and blessed to be in a situation to be on Sirius XM, but I've always made sure to you know, open and, and, and definitely in certain platforms and stuff like that and opportunities. You always want to, re, you know, connect, reconnect with people and get them on there because, like I said before, prior to podcasting, you know, there's so many talented, you know, shows out there that, mm-hmm. you know, people would love to hear this. And I think that we have really been in a, a society prior to podcasting that you were just forced to listen to the same mundane stuff over right. and over and over and over and not hear some great sports talk. So um, definitely appreciate that. And that anything I can do, you know, moving forward, uh, consider it done. No, I much appreciate it. And listen, I know that you had your show tonight, four to seven. I'm sure you want to kick back and relax, but I got to ask you one last thing before I let you go. So it's November 29th around... I'll say 7.30 p.m. 
where the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where they were 7-5 and five at that point going into their bye. And we know all of the prognosticators the start of the season with Tom Brady going to Tampa. A lot of people thought that they were going to be the team to make it to a Super Bowl. And at that point, at 7-5, and five, I'm sure you had to be thinking to yourself, it's probably not going to be our year. Were you thinking that way, or did you feel like, uh-uh, we're going to turn this season around, and then next thing you know, as long as we get on a run, we're going to make it to the Super Bowl, and then not only that, end up hoisting the trophy over your head, because as people may not know, you're a huge Buccaneer fan, you're a diehard, you're not a bandwagon, which I love, so walk me through, yeah, no doubt, walk me through, after watching that game, was there a sense that you thought, oh, this, this is going to be in the cards for the Buccaneers this year, or did you feel like, wait, the buy's coming at a good time? If we just run the table, we'll be all right. And then sure enough, win the Super Bowl. No, I actually thought, you know, I, I just really thought that, again, there's seven and five. You look at the schedule. Um, it was pressure to win, you know, the, the remaining games and stuff. And I knew that, you know, again, you had some teams like Detroit, Atlanta, mm-hmm. you know, uh, on this schedule that they really had a chance to win. And I thought the biggest thing would be that if they got in the playoffs and, the way things were shaping up to be, I thought that clearly, you know, winning the division would have given them a better opportunity. But, you know, the, the way things shaped up and, you know, guys could stay healthy. Look, you get in the playoffs, you see how things will work out. Um, I, I did think it was good, a very good, you know, decision to be able to be in a situation where they got Washington in that first round game and in, in, in that wild card game um, to be able to get Washington. And, 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 and from there, knowing that, okay, you win that game, you got to go beat New Orleans in New Orleans. And I, I was just concerned about defensively, you know. Yeah. You know, the way that Mahomes carved uh, the, the Buccaneers up, especially Tyree Gill, you know, and what he was able to do in that first quarter, I was like, oh, my God, you can't <laughs> stop them. They're just an offensive juggernaut. Yeah. But I, I just kind of felt that we would have an opportunity, provided nobody gets hurt, you know, no significant injuries. And if they're able to get in and match up, I think the way it was playing out, the NFC East uh, champ would be the team that they would face um, going into Washington. And I thought that, you know, again, they could get a chance. But I never just thought and said, oh, we're going to the Super Bowl because you think about it, 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 the times where you've had these things happen from a Joe Montana to, you know, you know Peyton Manning, mm-hmm. Brent Favre, it could either go two ways. It could be great and you get somewhere close to a Super Bowl and you still come up short. Or you could be in a situation where you just like with Favre when he was with the Jets or he was with the, the, uh, the Vikings, Vikings yeah. where he got to the championship game. And they just couldn't get over the hump. But, you know, once they beat New Orleans, I start feeling like, you know what, this team and based upon, you know, the aura of a Tom Brady you know, this team was locked in and they knew how to prepare. And like even going in this sort of Lambeau field, I was just thinking, I was like, oh, my God, you know, they're going to be playing in really cold weather. And the narrative in the past have been like the Bucks they can't win in weather that's 40, yeah. below 40 degrees or 50 degrees. Yeah. And to go in there, and I kind of felt that they would have a, a nice matchup because I just didn't feel like their wide receivers were really, uh, you know, dynamic. Like, yeah, you put a lot of, you know, D- Devontae Adams was very good. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like, you know what, their matchup against the Packers and stuff like that with Aaron Rodgers really didn't scare. Um, you know, and once they got past there, it was just a 50-50 crapshoot with Mahomes um, and um, the, the, the the Chiefs and stuff. And, you know, kudos to, to Todd Bowles and uh, Bruce Arians. But I think you have to really look at the fact is that Look, Tampa Bay and before Tom Brady came there, I just really thought that, again, thought it was really foolish to give up on a young quarterback, 25, 26 years old, you know, that really is in a a, a, a system that doesn't didn't have a lot of history of winning mm-hmm. and just thought it was really crazy to do so. But um, it, it made a lot of sense, and he made me a believer. And I think that he's really cut from sort of that Michael Jordan cloth where – he comes in, his already hardware and his pedigree warrants that, you know, again, great, a good team, talented team that just didn't know how to win. Yeah. And he is something he had brought something to the table that learned how to win their level of focus. And it was unbelievable. And it was t- tremendous. And I mean, I'm all in on Champa Bay. This year, so. <laughs> no, of course, man. And I'm sure you're still riding high off of that. And rightfully so. 
And with that being said, Gerald, I really appreciate you taking the time out to handicap the second half a little bit, take a look at the NBA picture on a whole. And uh, once again, much appreciate your time. And hopefully we'll talk down the road as uh, Aries gang in the house as we're both uh, celebrating birthdays over the course of the next month or so. So we'll look forward to that as well. Absolutely, Jay. Anytime, man. I appreciate you. Definitely continued success. And anytime you need me, just give me a phone call and I'll definitely make sure we make it happen. Uh, I appreciate it. That goes both ways too, my man. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely be in touch. And thanks again, man. I know you had a long day and for you to spend some time with me tonight really means a lot. Always a pleasure, man. Anytime. Appreciate you. Enjoy yourself. Many thanks to my guy, Gerald Brown from Sirius XM NBA Radio for joining me to share his opinions, thoughts, and analysis on everything that's happening in the association as well as his insight. Can't forget that. Always a good spot to have him on here. I'm sure we'll have him somewhere down the road as well. But before I say goodbye, I have some thoughts on this date where we look at just a year ago this time where we all remember in Oklahoma City was the jump off of the sports landscape pretty much shutting down as we know it. Now, granted, we know sports has been around since late July. We get it that there's been some NASCAR and also some golf that happened in the beginning of the summer last year, but for the sports universe to be pretty much on its axis, it started July 23rd when the baseball season started their 60-game schedule. And then right after that was the NBA postseason as well as the NHL, and then we pretty much took off from there. But it was on this night, 365 days ago, where the word came down that the game between the Jazz and Thunder was to be postponed, not necessarily canceled because the world, and especially the NBA, did not know where this was going to take us. But soon after the cancellation came down, we find out that the Jazz center, Rudy Gobert, had tested positive for coronavirus. And then everybody was aghast at that time because we didn't know what to expect from that point forward. If that player had caught it, what other players in the league have possibly come in contact with the coronavirus? And then shortly after that, we found out about Donovan Mitchell, his teammate. And then a couple other players, Christian Wood in particular was another guy at the time he was with the Pistons, but he had also come down with COVID. And when we think about that night and wondering what the sports world was going to be like, we could only just turn to the next day because with conference championship week here in this country and in the last year at the same time, I remember a Big East tournament in the 12 o'clock game between, I believe it was St. John's and Villanova, how at halftime, they did start the game, but at halftime, they decided to call the game off and obviously the Big East tournament. And then it was just a matter of hours before the powers that be of the NCAA basketball committee, they decided that they might as well just cancel the season altogether. And that's when we knew the severity and the seriousness of this virus. Because as much as we've been following and watching on the news, starting from Wuhan, China, as it slowly but surely crept into the U.S., everybody in the beginning thought that this was going to be a death sentence. Everybody thought that when we heard about Rudy Gobert, oh my God, is he, is he going to be okay? And we had no knowledge or understanding of how potent or how lethal this virus was to be. Now, by any means, I'm not taking any pleasure or trying to put a light on what has happened since then, considering we've had, what is it, 525,000 people perish because of this coronavirus. But when I look at those two days... And that pretty much setting the tone for everything that has happened from then until now. And even though we're slowly but surely opening up in certain regions, there are states that are just saying to heck with it. We're going full bore, as is the Texas Rangers. Word came out yesterday that they expect a full house there on opening day when they host the Toronto Blue Jays, I believe, the opening game is going to be April 1st or somewhere in that first week of April. And for Florida, you would think Arizona and some other cities that host major league ball clubs, they're ready to open up the gates to pretty much have everybody start filing in 
And to a certain extent, you understand because Major League Baseball needs their gate and the attendance desperately in order for them to stay afloat. But of course, we all have to be wise as individuals. We can't do anything about what the state, local, and government officials are going to do as far as letting how many people in for a sporting event. But of course, we can control whether or not we want to be in a ballpark or in an arena, a stadium, etc. And by any means, I'm not trying to tell you guys what to do. Don't go to a ball game. Don't do this. Don't do that. Please, I'm the last person to tell you that. But obviously, you want to proceed with caution because as much as the country is starting to open up, and even here in New York, where on March 19th, they're going to have restaurants at 50% capacity, and north of where I live, they'll have 75% capacity, which they might as well have 100. I mean, how are they going to monitor or gauge 75% in a restaurant? I mean, give me a break. But the bottom line is, is that just be smart, be wise. Be kind to your neighbor. Be kind to your fellow citizen. Just because the bans may have been lifted in certain states, areas, regions, etc. doesn't mean you have to be an idiot towards somebody else. I understand that sometimes you get an idiot that's just going to press your buttons and next thing you know, you're flying off the handle and God forbid you're getting into a confrontation with that person. But all I'm saying is that whatever it is that you do, whether it's going to a restaurant movie theater, maybe even a museum or a ballpark. All you can do is control what you can control. So if you feel like you're not ready to go to a ball game, so be it. Stay home. Watch the game on your 55-inch TV or bigger or smaller or even on your phone for that matter. But if you feel like you're ready to dive in and you're sick of being indoors and you want to experience being inside of a ballpark, please, you know what's best. But at the same time, Just be kind, be nice, be respectful, be aware, and be mindful that you're not the only person in that stadium and that there's others around you. And if you see anything that starts to rise where it's not going to agree with you, then just try to move on. Just walk 16 or 60 feet away from that person. And I understand if you're going to be in a ballpark where you may be shoulder to shoulder with somebody, And do your best to feel as comfortable as you possibly can. So if that means you have to stand on the concourse for nine innings or four quarters or whatever, then do that. But as long as you're out and about and being respectful for your agency and with whom you're with, that's all you could ask for. So let's see now as we get to start year two. And with baseball on the horizon, obviously everything that's going to start to percolate as far as the sports world goes. The tournament's going to start next week. And then once we get into April and then deeper into the spring, we have the postseason and the NBA and NHL, NFL draft, etc. So lots of sports to talk about here over the course, maybe not over the next few weeks, but I'll start to pick up here as the tournament will begin a week from tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this. So that'll do it here, episode 184. Hope you enjoyed that discussion there I had with Gerald. And if you want to hear more interviews like that to get the word out about the J Reels podcast, I have a very simple step for you to do. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast, as you heard at the very top. What that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. And we know there are tons, not even just in sports, it's overall. But more importantly, in my little sector of the world, because I want to generate interest with this podcast amongst the people who aren't familiar with it. So if that is the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, writer, blogger, studio host, even the person that runs the truck broadcasting these games, I want to make sure that they share their experiences with me so that in turn I can flip that to you guys to not only entertain and inform, but get their perspective on what it took to be between the white lines or in the studio or in the broadcast booth or in the press box. All those stories I want to share with you guys, but if we get you to subscribe, rate, and review, it's going to help increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, so please feel free to do so upon the conclusion of listening to this podcast. That and also any messages you want to send, questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, feel free to do so on any of my social media accounts via DM, whether it's on Instagram at jreels or the jreels podcast, which is strictly sports, on Twitter, jreels1, just a number, on Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, 
in the old-fashioned way by email at thejreelspodcast at gmail.com. Please feel free to forward any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. And you can even go to the website at www.jreels.com if you want to shoot me a question, comment through there. And then lastly, to support this endeavor, if you're ever so generous and want to contribute to the podcast, whether it's the upkeep of the website, equipment, production, etc., you could do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Patreon is P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. And once again, whatever you contribute, I will be sincerely grateful and thankful for that because it's in the DNA, people. As I say each and every week, it's in the blood. Sports is like oxygen for me. And it's been like that since day one. And I'm going to continue to put forth content as long as I'm on God's green earth. Because I love to discuss everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>